If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Today is Saturday, February 3rd. We are just days away from a historic case going before the U.S. Supreme Court. Next week, the justices will begin hearing arguments about whether former President Trump is eligible to run for president again or if he should be barred from the ballot. Remember, this is happening because the Colorado Supreme Court ruled Trump engaged in insurrection during the January 6th Capitol riot and therefore is disqualified for any office and will not show up on the state's primary ballot. But now it's up to the Supreme Court to decide whether to uphold or overturn that ruling, ultimately impacting every state's ballot. Not only are there very strong opinions and feelings on both sides of this, but also there's urgency. Colorado's primary, along with many other states' primary elections, are only about one month away on Super Tuesday. So today we're taking a closer look at what the Constitution actually says and doesn't say about how to handle such an unprecedented case. Here to help us sort through it all is Jessica Levinson. She teaches constitutional and election law at Loyola Law School, and she's the host of the podcast Passing Judgment. She's explaining the arguments she expects the justices to hear from both sides, plus why she thinks memories of the 2000 election could actually influence the court's final decision and so much more. Welcome, welcome to the Newsworthy Special Edition Saturday, when we sit down with a different expert or celebrity every Saturday to talk about something in the news. Don't forget to tune in every Monday through Friday for our regular episodes, where we provide all the day's news in 10 minutes. I'm Erica Mandy. It's now time for today's Special Edition Saturday. Jessica Levinson, thank you for joining us here on the Newsworthy. Thanks for having me. So let's start with just big picture about why this case is historic and the potential impact on our country overall. We've never been in this situation where we're looking at a former president who's currently running again for that office and wondering whether or not he's constitutionally barred from serving in the Oval Office. This is a matter of first impression. We are talking about a provision of the Constitution that wasn't previously on my constitutional law syllabus. Now it is. But this is a historic moment. And there are people on both sides of this argument who feel extremely passionate. So either way, this is going to be huge for the reaction of the country. People obviously feel very passionately, but I think we're really talking about how they feel about the outcome, whether or not the Supreme Court should be able to say that a person, in this case, Donald Trump, is not eligible for the ballot or whether that should be a decision left to the voters. I don't hear most of this discussion centering around what the law actually provides and what the legal analysis dictates. 
So let's talk about that, the arguments based on the law. The Colorado Supreme Court made its decision to ban Trump from the primary ballot based on the 14th Amendment's insurrection clause. So summarize that reasoning, that the argument for that decision and, and what the law says in favor of this decision. Yes. So the 14th Amendment was put into the Constitution after the Civil War, and it's a Reconstruction era amendment. And Section 3 was designed to prevent members of the Confederacy who had served in office from once again serving in office. The idea being you don't get to try to destroy our government from within and then once again be a member of that government, that that's simply too risky. And this provision, in a way, is designed to be anti-democratic. It's designed to say there are moments that are so dangerous that we need to take this option away from the voters. So let's start with what the argument is for saying that Trump was involved in an insurrection and should be banned based on this clause. So the argument for those who say that Trump is not eligible is essentially to look at what the Colorado Supreme Court concluded, that on January 6th, there was an insurrection that Trump's words and actions amounted to giving aid or comfort to those who engaged in the insurrection, and that the presidency is an office that's included in Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. In addition, what the Colorado Supreme Court found is obviously that Congress doesn't have to do more meaning that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is so-called self-executing, that we don't need to wait for Congress to pass a statute, for instance. Okay, so then one argument, at least, against banning Trump is that he wasn't involved in an insurrection on January 6th. And specifically, even if that question is subjective or that answer is subjective, that he hasn't been charged with insurrection specifically. Yes, he does face other felony counts related to January 6th, but not leading a rebellion or insurrection. So what's your take on on that argument? I don't see anything in the plain language of the Constitution or the way it has been applied, albeit sparsely, that indicates that you do need somebody to be charged and or convicted with engaging in an insurrection. In addition, there are other judges who have looked at this question, not with respect to Trump, but with respect to others, who have specifically said, we don't see the Constitution as requiring that this person be charged and or convicted, that that is a separate inquiry that happens in a criminal courtroom. Do you expect Trump's team to bring up that argument at all? Absolutely. I think Trump's team will bring up the argument that if there was an insurrection, if he gave aid or comfort to those who engaged in it, then he would have been charged with that. I think that they will say you can't take this power away from the voters. I think they will say that this particular provision doesn't apply to the presidency, which would be strange to me that we would worry about a county commissioner, for instance, serving in government again, but not the person who seeks to lead our entire government. So I think we're going to see all of those. We'll also see an argument that we already talked about this with respect to impeachment and the Senate decided not to convict. So we've been here before, double jeopardy applies, and there's no way that Trump should be found ineligible. Do you have a prediction for how you think the Supreme Court will ultimately rule on this? I think the Supreme Court wants to be viewed as 
pro-democracy. They don't want to be viewed as the Supreme Court that decided another presidential election. They still have, I think, PTSD from Bush v. Gore back in 2000. And I think they are going to find a way to conclude that the Colorado Supreme Court was wrong. And to that point, it, it sounds like the justices sort of had to take this case on, but don't necessarily want to. I think the justices desperately did not want to take this case. I think they don't want to be involved in these big political slash election questions. They don't like to enter the political thicket. I think that this is a very conservative court and they have big changes that they want to implement. But deciding the next presidential election or making it look like they're deciding the next presidential election is not one of them. But as you mentioned, I don't think that they had a choice here. We have a situation where we have Colorado saying under the U.S. Constitution, Kenneth Trump is not eligible and we have potentially a patchwork of different decisions. This is where you need the U.S. Supreme Court, the only body that is the final word on what the Constitution means. And just so people are clear, that means people can't even write in his name like he would not be counted at all if he were banned off the ballot. And the other thing that I want to be clear about is that once the Supreme Court makes a decision about this specific case in Colorado, it has implications for all states, which is why it's such a big deal. Can you explain that a little bit? That's exactly right. So if the U.S. Supreme Court determines that under the Constitution, Trump is not eligible to be president again, that's akin to the U.S. Supreme Court saying something like the age requirement to be president is exactly what it says. And therefore, no state gets to say, well, we're going to put somebody who's 28 on the ballot. That's obviously under that 35 year age requirement. So this is something that would apply nationwide. There is so much more still to come. Next, a deeper dive into the potential consequences of the Supreme Court's decision, no matter which way they rule. Today's legal expert also shares why a unanimous decision from the justices would be tough, but likely in the country's best interest. Plus, will the justices' decision be political in any way? But first, a quick break for our sponsors. Taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That's why for almost a year now, I've been drinking AG1 every day. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. I like to drink AG1 first thing in the morning, which is recommended for optimal nutrient absorption. If I'm running short on time and can't mix my AG1 before heading out, I'll grab a travel pack. Each is an individual serving of AG1 that's easy to mix on the go, helping ensure I get my daily nutrients no matter what. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why I've partnered with them for a while now. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 plus K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash newsworthy. That's drinkag1.com slash newsworthy. Check it out. And thank you to our other sponsor, OneSkin. With our recent move and some other changes, I started to notice that a little added stress seemed to be taking a toll on my skin. So one of the things I'm thinking about this new year is a little extra self-care. And for me right now, that means taking better care of my skin's appearance and its health too. I'm so excited that I've partnered with OneSkin because I'm loving their science-backed approach to healthier skin. And their products feel so good on my face. 
I'm using their face and eye cream so far and loving it already. It's moisturizing but still lightweight. My face feels instantly hydrated and plump. Plus, I know it's doing its job with a scientifically proven peptide called OS1 that targets fine lines and wrinkles right where they start, my cells. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code NEWSWORTHY at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code NEWSWORTHY. After your purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them, so please support our show and tell them we sent you. New year, healthier skin. That's OneSkin. Okay, now back to our conversation. So let's talk about potential consequences for both potential outcomes. You talked a little bit about, you know, Trump may remain eligible to stay on the ballot. That might not change anything for this specific election, but does that change anything in terms of the precedent it sets? That's exactly right. So when the U.S. Supreme Court determines when Section 3 of the 14th Amendment applies and when it doesn't, that's not just about Trump and his candidacy. They are going to give us guidance about when this provision applies in general. Okay, so let's talk about the reverse side. What happens if the Supreme Court does actually ban Trump from the ballot? You know, obviously that changes a lot for now and potentially the future. I think that there will be a feeling among many voters, both Republican voters and Democratic voters, that this is a decision that should have been up to them. I think there will be an enormous outcry against the Supreme Court if they were to come to that conclusion. I don't think that they will. But it would also have huge implications for this particular election. Of course, those who are very much against former President Trump and want him to be off the ballot One thing that I think people do acknowledge is that if he is kicked off the ballot and then, for instance, if Nikki Haley becomes the Republican presidential nominee, polling indicates that she actually is doing better against President Biden than former President Trump. So this is one of those fascinating questions where there are political issues and legal issues and they are inextricably bound together. And you've talked a lot about how the Supreme Court just doesn't want to be involved At the same time, I think there's a feeling that the Supreme Court, as much as they're not supposed to be political, a lot of people feel that they are. Do you think the fact that three of the Supreme Court justices were nominated by Trump during his first term would influence the outcome or there's any politics going on beyond just we don't want to be involved? We know that this is the most conservative court that we've had in almost 100 years. And obviously, former President Trump was able to appoint a third of the Supreme Court. My read on the current court is that while they are very conservative, they're not necessarily very pro-Trump. And I think we saw bits of that, for instance, in the aftermath of the 2020 election, where you really didn't see the Supreme Court trying to save Trump. I think what we see is the Supreme Court doing exactly what they wanted to do, uh, overturning Roe v. Wade, overturning affirmative action. I think they are going to make it much harder to implement gun control measures. But I don't know that their goal is to promote President Trump. You've also mentioned a little bit about like depending on if their opinion, how narrow or broad it is. Can you talk about what that means and and why an opinion isn't necessarily just black or white? 
This is a situation where, frankly, because we are interpreting Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, because we don't have anything directly on point from the Supreme Court, they are going to have to lay out some big legal principles. But the question is whether or not they try to do something akin to what they did in Bush v. Gore, where they say, really, this is a unique circumstance. Don't look too far beyond what we're doing right here. In Bush v. Gore, the court said something breathtaking, where they basically tried to say, don't rely on this case again. I don't think that the Supreme Court can do that here, but they can try and stay narrowly to what the former president has done and what happened on January 6th. And ultimately, Super Tuesday, the primaries are coming up. So this is an urgent matter. The Supreme Court is hearing this case soon. They know that, you know, there's a deadline. So I imagine we can even expect a decision before Super Tuesday on what, March 5th? I think it is possible that we would have a decision before Super Tuesday. Obviously, time is of the essence, and it's really a situation that could create chaos and voter confusion. And the Supreme Court understands very well that there does need to be resolution as soon as possible. Do you have a prediction for how long it'll take to hear that decision? That is too hard for me to guess. I think it depends on whether or not the chief justice is able to get to a point, and I'm guessing he really would like to get to this point, where they can have something other than a five to four or six to three majority. And it's a case where, just like Chief Justice Earl Warren in Brown v. Board wanted to have the court speak with a unanimous voice because that decision was going to have such huge implications for the country. I think the chief justice is really going to want to try and have the court speak with one voice. Given this court and given this question, I think that would be very difficult. Yeah, maybe the the, the American people would take in their decision better if the justices were all together on it. Right. We see how difficult it was for the nation after Bush v. Gore because it was such a closely divided decision. And I think that Chief Justice John Roberts is very well aware of that. He doesn't want to redo that uh, because in part he knows that that decision really hurt the credibility of the court. He does not want the court to look like a political body because ultimately our respect for the court depends on us all believing that they're not just politicians in robes, that they're doing something different. Well, thank you so much to our guest today, Jessica Levinson, for helping to break down and clarify some of what this case is all about and the potential impact of it moving forward. Be sure to check out her podcast called Passing Judgment. And stay tuned to The Newsworthy for updates on this historic Supreme Court case. We will continue to cover all the major developments, along with your regular news of the day, in our 10-minute roundups, available every Monday through Friday morning. So we'll be back on Monday with our next episode. Until then, have a great weekend. <laughs> 